Hi. Welcome to Action Phase. Hi. Hi, Becca. <laughs> hi. Are you Becca? Yeah. Hi. I just heard you say hi, I'm Becca, so I wanted to say hello back to you. That's all. Hi. I'm Tegan. I'm the host of this uh, this next podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I am here with Mike and Scott, um, the lovely behavioral health reporter for WHYY. Is that yep. correct? Yeah. Hi. Thanks Hi. for coming. <laughs> so um, just uh, just in case there's any any question about what's going on, this is the first... Uh, action phase live show and we are here at Tattooed Moms Um, so yeah I mean basically just gonna talk with you about what you do and what you're interested in so so, uh, tell me a little bit about what you do just like on a daily basis at work okay I'm a reporter at WHYY. I also host a weekly show, which is a health and science show. It's called The Pulse. It airs on Fridays at 9, Sundays at 10. So a lot of my week is spent, you know, on Mondays and Tuesdays. I try to do reporting, if at all possible. I try to go out and interview people, look for stories. On Wednesdays, we start writing the script for the show. We listen to all the pieces that are going to be in the show. On Thursdays, we tape the script. Then we start editing the show. On Fridays, it airs. And then you do it all over again. That's basically it. So who's the we? So there's a big team. One of them is here. That's Alana Gordon. She is a reporter for us. And we have a producer and another producer and three more reporters. So a bunch of people. And what does the Pulse cover? The Pulse covers health science innovation based in this region currently. So we look for bigger stories, but usually find a hook that kind of tethers them to our region, which is not a problem because this, this is a place for health and science, and that's what this region does, in addition to eating a lot. <laughs> yeah. So we do food really well, and we do health and science really well. So never a shortage of stories. And it really is like health and science, not necessarily health and science together, right? No, it's health and science. So we can talk about green engineering one day. We can talk about space. We can talk about turning carbon dioxide into a catalyst to make plastics. And we can talk about, you know, the different health stories, whatever. I um, actually had the the good fortune of being on The Pulse Mm -hmm. as an interviewer. And instead of talking about anything health-related, I talked about snails with somebody. Mollusks. Mollusks. Yes, Yes, mollusks. I remember like these huge, beautiful snail shells. That's what sticks out for me. Um, And and it was really fun, and it was kind of cool to be able to talk about something that I know nothing about. Right. That's one of our segments. We call it, So What Do You Do?, where a layperson gets to interview a scientist about their work, just because the conversation is probably more relaxed, and it puts the scientist in a place where they feel like they really have to explain what they do in a way that people can actually understand it. That's what you did. That, because I didn't know anything about mollusks right. at all, so I learned quite a bit. Um, so how did you, did you come to reporting first, or did you come to behavioral health? Were you interested in that more so? No, I... I had no interest in health, science, or any of that, really. So <laughs> I, came, I came to it from an interest in radio. 
So, and I didn't even really have an interest in radio at first. I had, you know, I stumbled on radio, fell in love with radio, did that. And then when I came here, I, the first job I got was in mental health, kind of related to mental health reporting. So that's what I stuck with. But the radio came first. So did you go to school for communications or anything like that? Yeah, I went to Temple for journalism and then went to Temple for a master's in history for unknown reasons, but that was fine. You know, (laughs) you could never have too many degrees, I suppose. So yes, but I I definitely knew I wanted to work in radio. Why? Like, why radio? I don't know. (laughs) My my colleague Peter Kerman's over here and I have this little (laughs) joke where we say, because I wasn't capable of doing anything else. So I guess because... I didn't know what to do. In high school, I didn't excel at anything. So I, you know, I was a terrible student. I graduated, and then I wanted to be an actress because I thought, oh, I loved acting. So I was involved. The one thing I did as a teenager is I I was involved in, like, community theater. So I wanted to be an actress. But in Germany, all the schools are free, so when you go to school, you have to try out. So if you want to go to school for acting, you have to compete for 10 spots against like thousands of people. So I didn't get into any of the schools. And then I thought, well, what am I going to be now? And my mother said, well, you have to do something. And I didn't know what to do. And I thought, maybe I'll be a nurse or maybe I'll... I don't know. I was just totally confused. And then there was this new radio station in my hometown, and they had a summer internship. And they took me, and that was it. I just, they just said, okay, this is good, and it was a good fit, and I stayed, and I stayed, and then they hired me, and then I came over here, and I interned at HYY, and I stayed, and I stayed, and they hired me, so I've only had two jobs, really. And your internships turned into jobs. Yes. Which never (laughs) happens. Right. So that's great. Where in Germany are you from? I'm from the southwest, so I'm really close to the French border. Okay. Yeah. And you came over here for college? No. I came over here for very poor choice of reasons, but <laughs> I made it work in the end, right? Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> so, so you basically found yourself falling into radio. Mm-hmm. And then how did you get into behavioral health specifically? Was because, it just like that was what was available? Yeah. So I, I had interned with WHYY and I was just looking for a job. And then there was a show called Voices in the Family and they needed a producer. And that's the job I got. So I did apply for a job with Fresh Air, and they didn't hire me, so <laughs> so there. So that's how that happened, you know? It just, like, things happen, and I liked... It's an interesting... I think behavioral health is one of those things where you can tell any story you want because every story in the end is a behavioral health story. So there's no limit to it, what you can do. So I never found it limiting in any way. That's kind of how I think about public health right in general it's like everything is a public health pretty story. much everything you can tie back to yeah something public health related i agree yeah um what will you talk a little bit about voices in the family i remember when i moved here four years ago that was a show that i heard all the time i felt like it was always on right um and i didn't know what was i didn't know what it was so will you will you talk about that right. a little bit so it's it's hosted by dan Gottlieb, who is a psychologist and he has been in a wheelchair for now 35 years, which is very unusual. He's a quadriplegic. 
So he's had a really difficult life, and I think he has a kind of different insight on life because of everything that he's been through. So I just did that, you know, and I loved working with Dan. He's, to me, one of the most inspirational people I've ever met. And he never complains. I mean, he has such a difficult life just to do what he does, being in a wheelchair and to get around and, and to do all the work he does is amazing. And he he has a great sense of humor, never bitches about anything, and that's very inspirational to me. And now you're not producing any of those shows? Now you've moved to Newsworks. Then I moved to the newsroom then. Oh, I became okay. a reporter, yeah. Oh, so that's an interesting mm-hmm. career path to yeah. go from producer to reporter, well, I was right? I a reporter first. In Germany, I was a reporter. Then I came here, I was a producer. And also, you know, in the beginning, people weren't so sure, should I be on the air or not with an accent? Is that going to fly? Is it not going to fly? So, I, you know, I never really envisioned myself being on the air. And then I did fundraising forever, you know, and ever and ever. And then people were like, oh, okay, maybe she could do this. So... <laughs> So eventually I ended up in the newsroom. So in as a reporter, mm-hmm. what kinds of stories do you like to cover? Do I like to cover? I don't know. That's... I, don't, I mean, I know what I don't like to cover. So okay, I, I, that'll I, work. I, never, I was never a breaking news person. I'm not a breaking news person. I did that a lot in the beginning. And that is not very satisfying because you're just chasing after a story and everybody in town is calling the same dude and he's like all right fine and you're doing this 40 second story and then you're done and then you do another 40 second story and then you're done and you never get to the bottom it's like blah 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 this happened so and so says blah 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 oh cool you know and this guy says this and then it's done and you you don't get really to the bottom of any issue so that's not fun I mean, not not to me, and not on an ongoing basis, because you're just doing... After a while, it just seems like it's the same story over and over and over again. So it becomes very formulaic. So it's fun if you can really get to know a person or have a protagonist in a story, even though the story is only four and a half minutes, five minutes long, but if you kind of get to the essence of what a person is all about and maybe what their life has been about, that's where it gets really interesting. Or if you can do something that's meaningful to people where perhaps you, you can tell their story in a way that helps other people understand what their life is like. That's really when it gets to be very meaningful. What, what is an example of a story like that where you, could, where you are telling a story in four and a half or five minutes that is really focused on an individual and you're hoping that it will kind of talk about or teach people about like an issue that they may not know about i recently talked to a kid who has um tourette syndrome so this was right after the world cup which of course i'm a big world cup fan so there's the american goalie who has tourette so suddenly there's a little bit of talking about tourette's which i think is one of the least understood in the in the public mind disorders because people always think oh you just bust out and you say curse words but that's not it so i i had this kid who wanted to tell me about his life and he came into the studio and his parents came with him and he was 16 and he just told me what it was like to live with this and how he was little and he remembers like 
in preschool sitting under the table and barking and he couldn't he couldn't stop it and then he would come home and you know the teacher would call his mom and say oh adam is under the table again and he's barking and he has behavior issues and he said to her like mom i would do anything if i could stop doing this i would do anything not to be me and that's when she realized like there's something bigger going on here but it was it was powerful how he describes now he's in a in a regular school and sometimes he gets these tick attacks and he can't like he says it's kind of like you have to sneeze but then you can't you know so you you have to hold it in for hours and hours and hours and it gets stronger and stronger and you just want to be like go off so he then finds ways like he's allowed to go to the gym if he has to and he just walks around and laps and just does his thing like for him it's kind of like he has to bark and make really loud noises and his face contorts but he has to get that out and then it's then it's over but it was it was really it was hard to get all that into four and a half minutes but afterwards his mom emailed me and she said you know thank you I felt like you got him and you got what it was like and this will make it easier for him to share to continue to share his story and for others to see him and know what's happening and what he's going through it sounds like th- there's a a pretty big movement at this point about uh destigmatizing mm-hmm. uh behavioral health mental health issues is, yeah. it, that sounds like exactly the kinds of things that people want to have out there right but they don't i mean a lot of times you know, people want to fight the stigma of mental illness and they tell me this and that and then they say don't use my name though I'm like oh <laughs> okay so there still is a tremendous amount of stigma i think maybe not so much with something like Tourette's because you know exactly what it is and at this point you can also treat it to some extent but with depression and suicide and all those things that's still very much hush hush i think you know i mean you see these obituaries where it says so and so died suddenly and you know it's one of two things either they killed themselves or they overdosed right but you can even go to these funerals and nobody will say why like some healthy 26-year-old person is suddenly no longer here you know so there's this big void where nobody will step up and say anything so i think people who actually do that like i recently covered this really powerful event it's called the walk out of darkness it's this night long walk through philadelphia where people who lost somebody to suicide walk in their honor and that's so powerful to see that and to see how many people unfortunately have died by suicide but a lot of people still are very mm, don't want to talk about it but it is changing. So what do you do if somebody wants to talk to you about an issue but doesn't want you to use their name? How do you address that? Well, I talk to my boss about this. A lot of times in reporting, we don't like that. Because if you don't want to use your name, then it's not really Not trustworthy. Yeah, and it's tough for us to do the story. However, with mental illness, because a lot of employers still very much discriminate, so... It's understandable that if people have, for example, bipolar disorder, that they don't want to use their full name because that could really hurt their chances of getting a job. So in those cases, we actually let, let that happen. So you would go with just a first name? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's basically to protect them? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, if you, if, somebody, if you apply for a job and I'm going to Google you and the first thing that comes up is your whole story about struggling with bipolar disorder, what's an employer going to do, realistically? 
you probably don't want to work for an employer that's not going to be understanding if you right, have bipolar. Right, but the reality is that, <laughs> I think, the reality is that a lot of employers still, tats, like they wouldn't say that out loud, but I think they would, if they have a choice of seven candidates and they read that, they would not go with you probably, right? Probably not. Right. Unless they were particularly... Uh, yes. Sensitive and yes, understood yes, yes. that the, you know right. mental illness doesn't define a person. Right, it's just a quality. Right, absolutely. But still, that's where the stigma is. I think still persists a lot. Are there any other stories that you can think of that were particularly meaningful for you to report on, or or made a a big impact on you on a personal level? I think they. They all do in a way. You know, you meet a person and then you get to know them a lot of times really well. So you forge this instant connection with a person. You walk into the room and then they tell you a big part of their life. And that's really a powerful connection. And then they trust you with that information to allow you to retell their story. So that's, that's a big deal. And I think with most of the stories I've done, I've felt that connection to the person who I met. And yeah, and some of them, I keep in touch with them forever and they email me. Like there's this guy I can never get out of my head. He, I did a story with him, two stories related to grief. And he had lost his son in a car accident. And it was just, you know, he, he told me this story because after his son died, there were different financial issues where all these these companies would call and say, oh, can we speak to Michael? No, Michael has died. Oh, well, he owes us money. You know, who are you? So it was like this constant thing because a lot of times these debts get passed on and on and on. And there were college loans and all this stuff. So it, it was just a really difficult situation and getting these constant phone calls was making things worse for him. But yeah, I mean, we stay in touch, you know, and he emails me and he says, I miss my son today and I say yeah you know I'm sorry and I am and I think of him and then we email a couple of times so it's just it's just weird like a lot of times you you forge a connection with people that you then maintain over years sometimes so it sounds to me like you have that you bring into your job or that you are good at your job because of the amount of empathy that you're able to bring to the people who you're talking to and the stories that you're telling. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would hope so. I, I think doing the kinds of stories that I do, you have to have empathy for people because otherwise, I don't know, if, if you can't see what they're going through and if you can't imagine it, then you can't tell their stories. It kind of makes sense then that one of the jobs that you thought you might want to do is nursing. <laughs> right. That's another like I'm high I empathy. Become, I didn't become a nurse. Yeah. But it, but that's another high yeah. empathy. Look, helping people in you know with right, right. things that they're vulnerable about yeah. and things that are you know hurting in some way. Mm-hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. I guess. Do you <laughs> do you find that people you know personally? want to talk to you about their problems? No, I've done it the other way around. Like, I, I had a girlfriend who ended up, I mean, she's, she's more an acquaintance, but she, she ended up giving birth 
to her son on the steps of her house while her husband was experiencing an insane stomach flu. And they told me this story on the playground, and I just thought it was so... It was really a funny story, and I thought, this is a great radio story, and I don't care that I know them. It doesn't matter. It's still a good story. But no, people, you know, I mean, yes, sometimes people say, hey, I met you here and there, and can you do something about this? But no, not really. It's cool. So nobody comes to you and is like, I have a friend who's dealing with a lot of depression, and maybe, you know, do you know anybody? Yes, yes, that happens more. Or do you have Dr. Dan's phone number? That kind of thing, yes. (laughs) Is he still practicing? Yeah, he does. Not as much as he used to, but yes, absolutely. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So um, what do you see, like, do you see something new for you in the future? Do you want to keep, like, on this... uh, like behavioral health type, are you still really on that on that track, or you, I, you kind I mean, of to some extent? But now doing the pulse, I do more of everything. So I guess I'll do this for a while. You know, <laughs> we just started, <laughs> so we only started in December. So I'm sure stick with the pulse for a while. I mean, I've never worked anywhere but at WHYY, so that's perhaps a little strange. I don't know. You know, nobody does that anymore. But you get to branch out, like, into I've done different, different things, right, but right. yes, I've still been at the same place. So, I don't know. This is going to be, a, like, on the internet, right? So, I'm just going to... Can, I can edit whatever <laughs> out. I didn't mean to put you on the spot no, no, with, like, are you moving on to a new job? No. Anytime soon. That wasn't I have, what I meant. No, no, no. I have absolutely no plans <laughs> to go anywhere. No, but, you know, it's sometimes you think about, well, is this the place where they're going to carry me out of there? Or, or you know, am I going to retire from there? Or do I want to do something else? I don't know. I've never done anything else. I had a business for eight years. That was not good. I mean, it was fine, but that was not what I wanted to do. What kind of business was it? It was a recording and rehearsal studio, so that was ill-fated. It's still there, but that was not my thing. That was too much stress. I... You know, used to put on shows. I like that for a little bit, but that's what kind of shows? Music. So I like that, but that's very stressful too. So I don't know. I've never tried anything else. So we'll see. Yeah, I think that it's interesting to kind of get into an issue, like get into a topic like Mm -hmm. health, because you're interested in radio. You know, like kind of coming at it from like a more roundabout way because I know for me and for a lot of people who are interested in particular health issues it's kind of like all right well I'm I'm interested in this Mm -hmm. and how am I going to be able to make some kind of impact on these issues so it's it's a very different perspective but I think that eventually everybody kind of who is dealing with these uh, with these topics kind of comes to the same conclusion of like there are important stories that need to be told and there are people who are going through a lot and who need some kind of support in some way. Um, So I wanted to see if anyone has any questions for Mikan that they wanted to ask. I see Phoebe's eyes are like lighting up already. Well, first, I'm a devoted fan. I listen to the podcast every week, and I was thrilled when Tegan got to be on it last year. Yay! Um, But I'm wondering, since you often deal with really tough issues, and you're hearing often heartbreaking stories of people's personal lives, 
do you ever just feel emotionally drained with mm-hmm. your day-to-day job and say, I want to fold t-shirts tomorrow, I don't, I don't feel like I can do this again? Yeah, yes. I, you know, now I don't focus so much just on mental health anymore, but even when I did that, I always kind of tried to balance. I said earlier, every story is a behavioral health story, so I would try to do a story about kind of stress at work or family business dynamic, those kinds of things where you can interview a psychologist and it's interesting and it has to do with with behavioral health to some extent because the real deal heavy duty stories, they just get to you after a while. They really do. And there have been times when you know, I could just barely keep it together when I'm talking to somebody and then I would leave and I'm just crying in my car and I'm just devastated and you know a lot of times there is no real help for people. A lot of times there is no real hope, and you're just, ugh, you know. And so it gets it gets to you, especially talking to parents who have kids with severe mental illness. That is such a journey to be on and to continue to support them and not know what's the next day going to bring. Are they going to get a call that their kid is like dead or in prison? You know, those those stories are just are just rough. I mean, one time, Elana and I, we went on this TV shoot with, there were three families, they had all lost their kids to heroin overdoses. That's when you just leave and you think, wow, you know, it, that, yeah, that sticks with you. And it gets heavy. It, it really, it's, it stays with you. And I am kind of an emotional person anyway, and I worry a lot, and I catastrophize, so this is like <laughs> perfect fodder for my brain. <laughs> I'm just, you know, so it, it you definitely need a balance on some level, you know? So, yes. But now we do have shows where we can talk about mollusks, so that's not so heavy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mollusks are the opposite of children dying of heroin overdoses. Um, anybody else have some questions? No? Emily? I see, I see like... I want to, but I don't have Oh, Hi, also a big fan. Oh, thank you. Uh, if you had to identify, uh, in your professional opinion, the greatest health crisis currently facing this area, like what people should, uh, that you would like to most see addressed or people should be more concerned about? Wow. There's... Wow, the greatest health crisis. I think there's a couple of things that are that are really going to hit us in the next couple of years. And one of them is to find the right balance, having the system that we have in delivering good care, but not kind of crazy care. So there's people who have no care. And then if you have insurance, you oftentimes, as we all know, get too much care. But then even as a healthcare professional, you know, there was this guy on Fresh Air who was a cardiologist, and I heard him talk about this, and he said he he went in because he had some heart problems and he had some family history, and they did all these tests on him. And even though he was a cardiologist, he knew that he didn't need those tests, and there was like a 1 in 40,000 chance that something was wrong, but he still racked up like an $80,000 tab or something. My friend was recently in the hospital at CHOP with her daughter, who ended up having, you know, basically a heartburn, but got 
$40,000 worth of tests in three days because they were like, oh, you have a dissecting aorta and you have this. No. You know, I mean, that's kind of what, what healthcare professionals call looking for a zebra. When you hear hoofs, you should be looking for a horse and not for a zebra because it's probably a horse and not like, you know. But that's, to me, a really difficult thing because if I'm on the table – and I'm thinking, well, even if there, is, if there is like a one in a million chance that I have X, I, I would like for them to check that out, right? So, but how do we find that balance? Because we can't continue to, to pay for all that. And every year we're able to do more stuff, and that's really cool. And we can try new things and we can save people. But then how do you pay for that? That's something I, I just – I have no answer, but I find that fascinating. And I think as far as a public health issue, I think – what we eat and how we eat is going to really kick us in the butt in the next 10 years or so. You know, that's going to be a, a big deal. And Philly has done a lot of work, like, on the city level to yeah. try to help address that. But mm-hmm. it's such a systemic problem yeah. that it it's going to take more right. than just the city of Philadelphia. Elena and I, we talked to this guy who is a bariatric, he does bariatric surgery at Penn, and he said, you know, we've never as humans lived in a society where we are constantly surrounded by food that is cheap and awesome and tasty and also incredibly bad for you. So all day you're walking through the earth and you have to say, no, 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 you know? So that's hard. We know that, right? I mean, all day there's like a cookie there, there were chips over there, there's tater tots. So you, it's not like we have to work for our $2 food. $2 tater tots. $2 tater tots. Tattooed right. moms today. It's not like we have to work for our food, right? We have to work all day to not eat. At least I do, because I love to eat. So for me, that's like a personal struggle that I have to go through every day. So yeah, I can totally see that being a problem. And we know that a lot of the food is created specifically to make us want to eat it yeah it's all it's all engineered that's why it tastes so good yeah <laughs> but that oreo that we're both looking at on the uh, table has been sitting on this table because i don't like without a plate beer. so we're not going to eat that i don't like root, <laughs> i don't like root beer i would totally eat it otherwise <laughs> so any any other questions co-workers of mike in who want to ask her a question <laughs> that you couldn't already no. Did you ever uh, pursue acting on your spare time? You act? I had, in my whole life, I had, oh God, now we go back to the nurse thing. I had one paid acting job in my whole life where I portrayed a nurse in a training video. So, and it was very funny because I had to so I had to play this nurse in this training video shoot and they put so much makeup on me that I didn't recognize myself and I also thought like I'm supposed to be a nurse like not some you know hussy who just walked in <laughs> through the hospital doors it was very weird but yes I think I got paid 200 marks and it took like two days but yes so I had one acting job but I, I did community theater my my mom was very involved in community theater, so I did that my whole life. And that is something, maybe one day if I have time, I would love to do that again. I don't know how I would remember the lines, though. I don't know how you do that anymore. I, I, I guess when you're younger, that's easier, but now I'm struggling with even remembering anything. So, <laughs> But in terms of podcasting, something I do want to say, totally off the topic. But no, please. I think this is a really interesting time for, for podcasting and for radio and for everything because radio is losing 
its audience. So, you know, just like newspapers, I always joke that in the radio industry, we were so busy covering the demise of the newspaper industry that we didn't realize that we were sitting on a sinking ship ourselves. So, you know, because we're like, oh, look at the newspapers, and (laughs) nobody's reading them anymore. Oh, what's up with our listener numbers? So people make their own choices now. You know, I have two small children, and when they get in the car, they say, put you on the radio. And I say... I can't do that. And they're like, well, we want to hear you. And I'm like, no, that's not what's on the radio. They have no concept that you don't make your own programming when you want it. Like, I don't have a TV, so the only thing they've ever seen is on Netflix, so you get what you want in this moment, right? So it's an interesting moment where I think what we do will intersect because people choose their programming when they want to hear it. Fewer people are listening in their cars. People are putting podcasts on. They Even NPR now has that big NPR One player. So you can just say, I like public health. So give me like two hours worth of stuff. But for you to like discover something the way you used to just by turning on the radio and whatever, hearing a band for the first time, that's just not going to happen. So I think it's an interesting time for us who are doing the kind of traditional radio who have long relied on that accidental exposure of people just being public radio listeners, it's going to be an interesting time for us to see how we can capture an audience now and what people want and how, if we still are relevant to them, which I hope. <laughs> You're still relevant to me. Oh, I still listen. Aww. I still listen. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean for that to be like an <laughs> awe right. moment, but I just, That's you know, right. I still you listen know what to what I mean? Like in 10 years from now, is anybody going to listen to the radio? I don't know. I don't know. Right. So that's where we're at, kind of. Yeah. So um, that is really interesting because I have seen all of the podcasts that come out of mm-hmm. NPR. Um, like, I felt like you guys had really jumped on the bandwagon pretty well. Yeah, with with to. kind of adopting this understanding right. that that is the way that things are going. Right. And we also, you know, in the beginning, I never had to do web copy for any of my stories. I'm not a print reporter, so radio is a totally different animal. And now we have to write all our stories for web, where you have to do everything the right way. You have to spell, (laughs) do grammar. These are all things, you know, where as a radio reporter, you don't pay that much attention to. Traditionally, the AP style guidebook, whatever. So those were all things we had to learn really quick. And we have to bring a photographer to our stories and people say, why do you have a photographer? It's a radio story. Oh, because, you know, on Facebook, nothing pulls people in like a good picture. So all new stuff. Yeah, but it, but I, I don't know. I would have said that you guys were doing it well. Oh, that's good. But yeah, it's, all, it's fairly new. We've only had a real website for like three or four years. At HYY. Really? Not like a, no, no. A real news site. The Newswork site is only four years old. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And it was a big deal when it started. Yeah. I remember that must have been right when I moved to Philly. Yeah. Because that, it was like a big, yeah, big deal. Yeah, it was deal. a big deal for us. Well, um, so speaking of web stuff, how, if somebody wants to hear your stuff or learn, you know, where can people find you online? All right. Well, we're... At whyy.org slash the pulse is the show, and that's where all our stories are. 
And then, yeah, you can listen there. You can read whatever you prefer. You can look at pictures. Yep. And yep. I'm at Twitter at Mike and Scott. And you're on Twitter all the time. All the time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I hated Twitter at first. And now I'm kind of like, you know, you get hooked into this stuff. Once you get started, it's hard to stop. It's, it's addicting. Yes, very addicting. So it's like all that social media stuff, it sucks the life out of you, but then you enjoy it while it happens. So It's a different type of socializing. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Well, thank you so much for talking with me and fun. coming here to Tattooed Moms. Thank you. Appreciate it. I look forward to the next. When is the next podcast? It's six? It's at six. Uh, yep, her? it's Timory. Right. Yep, <laughs> cool. <laughs> thank right. you so thank much. Thank you. It was fun. Bye. Thanks. Thank you.